0: Café Rollist is your caffeinated tabletop RPG break. It started as our exclusive Patreon show, but following a survey with our supporters, I am happy now to share its most recent episode here with you. If you enjoyed this show, please consider checking out our archive of a 100 or so additional episodes which are still exclusive on Patreon. Welcome to Café Rodis. Today I've got someone I never had the pleasure of having a conversation with, so it's going to be completely fresh. Maybe we're going to find out that uh, uh, Jason doesn't like me at all. I hope it won't be the case. <laughs> Jason, could you introduce yourself for the listeners who might not be familiar with your work?
1: Absolutely. Uh, my name is Jason Pitre, uh Genesis of Legend Publishing, I'm an indie game designer from Canada, and I may be known for some of my games, including Sig Manual of the Primes, After the War, and I just released Palanquin, or Palanquin, depending on your pronunciation. Um, I also run the RPG Design Panelcast, which has a large number of panel and seminar recordings about game design and uh for kicks i also was one of the early members of the indie game de- developer network so i i've been around for a little while amazing
0: i think uh, i should check your your panels uh, a bit more i mean i'm in the process of developing my own my own very first game and play testing it so i'm, I'm sure ah, this f- full of good advice in there for me i i've got um, uh two ice breaking questions the first one is uh, what is your routine like uh, at the moment in the current uh, COVID-19 situation if it's not indiscreet?
1: Uh, so I am working from home. Um, I currently work for the government. So um, I'm doing my best to help move the bureaucracy forward. Uh, however, it's always a exciting and stressful time, uh, because uh, we just don't have the tools to be able to be fully efficient. Um, and it life in the time of pandemic is always bizarre. So um, now, fortunately, that means that I get to spend even more time cooped up at home in front of my computer working on my various projects so i can distract myself and at least feel productive to some degree
0: <laughs> well that's that's good news it's really weird indeed i i we will take took advantage of all uh not not mandatory yet but uh, authorized one hour of exercise although to have a walk it, uh we, we're not too far from the the city center and oh my god, there's a lot of music outside. The, we we had to walk all the way to, to the Thames and the, the HMS Belfast, which is this big boat. And i had forgotten, because I'm lost with dates and days, that it's V-Day today. And first of all, it, oh, was, yeah. it was quite eerie to stand there next to the Belfast, which is a, one of in the area and itself. It's a very touristic landmark, and there's usually a lot of people and they were just like... A handful of people, really. You could run a, a game of, uh, a role-playing game for all the people who were within my sight. <laughs> and suddenly, really suddenly, I, I would have thought I would have heard, that, heard them coming from far away, but very suddenly we had the Red Arrows, which is a acrobatic team uh, of the, whoops, lost your video. An acrobatic team uh, uh, from the um, the Royal Air Force. Rushing there in formation, I don't know seven planes with the colored smoke and everything, and it was just so eerie to see that there, but be almost alone to see that. It was like, yep. did that really happen? I felt yep. very uh, emotional. It was like you know, I almost almost cried because it sort of dawned on me. You know, those walks are nice because we we see a different side from the rest of the week, but then it dawns on you, yeah, the the situation or or where it is.
1: Yeah, I mean we just had the um uh, the snowbirds, which are the Canadian equivalent of that. Um uh I think they called it um Operation Comfort or something along those lines. Uh yesterday. Uh so yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's exciting. Uh and the other half of it is because as a professional in this industry, I would normally be going to a lot of conventions. Yeah, we got UK Games Expo cancelled here. I
0: mean, it's been postponed and now it's officially cancelled. There's still MCM Comic Con, which is not only... Uh, I don't think it's been confirmed yet that it was cancelled. It was delayed, meaning Critical Role would not come anymore. And then the convention center got turned into a makeshift gigantic <laughs> hospital... Uh, so it's really weird to see this picture and say, hey, that's where people cosplay, except it's, it's, I don't know, hundreds of beds uh, with respirators next to them.
1: Oof, yeah. Um, so I'm on the board of directors for a local convention. Uh, and, uh, I was probably going to be going to, um, Gen Con this year. Uh, and right now I'm very uncertain if I'm going to be making to it my way to the November Metatopia convention. So that's a thing. Um, so a lot of these gatherings are things that are both professional in that I would go there, run panels, sell my books, etc., cetera. Uh, and social. There are some of the times that I actually get to spend time with some of my friends and professional colleagues um so yeah it's exciting Um but it's very disruptive
0: yeah i imagine i mean metatopia i've never been there but i heard a a lot about it uh, including people in in panels i run here in the uk saying that we should have one in in europe or something similar but i imagine that not happening would be a a big void where where the beating heart should
1: be in your year of professional design. Yeah. Huh? <clears throat> um I mean for scale. I am I prefer to go to Meditopia than Gen Con. Gencon's got uh, this
0: reputation of being very large and that origins is it's still there in
1: terms of scales as well, but uh, it, Yeah uh, Gen Con is huge. Uh and it is the heart of the game publishing calendar for a reason. Um, usually there's decent sales. The booth is crowded and full of so many people. Uh, it's probably re- running at 60,000, uh, sorry, attendees, which is pretty respectable. Origins, last I checked was at around 15,000, uh, which is still a lot, <clears throat> 15 to 20. Um, and Metatopia is a thousand. Um, oh, nice. So, and, uh, for those who are unaware of Metatopia, it's over in Morristown, New Jersey, uh, every November. And it's a game design and development convention. Uh, so there are panels, uh, uh, specifically addressing niche topics of here's how you use agile, uh, project management in your game, uh, <laughs> projects. Or, uh, I did a fun panel on xenobiology, uh, a year ago, um, where it, this is how you make up alien ecosystems for your games. Okay. Uh, so it's always a lot of fun and there's some very high quality playtesting going on. So I was watching a bunch of games that later came to Kickstarter show up on the Metatopia man, uh, panel schedules a year or two before they dropped. Wow. So I, I heard about 13th Age before 13th Age came out. Cool. Because, uh, oh, it was on the, it was on the schedule.
0: Not, not too long ago, I took part to a, a French, um, because obviously in France, there well, a lot of places had this situation. And uh, in France and in other places, uh, it, it created a, a very interesting reaction. They created CyberConv, which is an online convention. And I must say, I've been extremely impressed with what they pulled off. In a in a few weeks, uh, I think part of the reason is that you had people involved in different conventions suddenly banding together online and <coughs> being this proactive. Uh, yeah, so uh, I recorded a couple episodes with with them, so I, I would recommend anyone who's considering running a convention online to to check them out and maybe reach to the organizers. But do you think that's something which could happen with Metatopia or even the convention you are you are running, having a, a version, a virtual version?
1: Um Mine, I know there's some people who are organizing um, a little, you know, a few games, but um, board games are harder. The miniatures games are nearly impossible. So it's just the RPGs that really work well in the art, uh, online format. Metatopia. I, there's some elements that could certainly work. But the organizing lift associated with that is extensive so uh, i don't know um i mean no matter what we're gonna have some conversations about games during that period of time but we'll see exactly how that shakes out yeah yeah it's it's exciting. Yeah, it's,
0: I mean, uh, what I find fascinating at the moment, and uh, uh, one thing I've seen with uh, that convention is how there's a, there were a lot of people, as you mentioned, the infrastructure uh, at your work to, to work from home and so on, and uh, there are software, there are lot, a lot of tools people need to learn and so on. But I've seen sort of the opposite with role playing games. I saw people <clears> coming <throat> with tools from their workplace to run their games. <laughs> Yep. So, so now, I mean, this little group, we we're gonna play each Thursday, and they introduce me to something called Miro, which is for collaborative work. These are dashboards, and then I realized right. that with that I could run my game online, despite the fact that you needed pre-printed cards, which you hand over to the players, and then they fill them out right. and then they trade them. The, I mean, the, that's just one tool among many, but it's quite impressive to see. Yeah, people being inventive, and you got compare even to a couple of weeks, months ago. Uh, there's much more to playing online than than Roll Twenty and Fighting Fantasy
1: now. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's a number of really interesting games that are designed in such a way that they work well online. I mean, the classic one is Viewscreen. Oh, uh, which if you haven't heard of it, or for folks who haven't. It is a horror game where you're all playing different uh, members of a science fiction crew. Uh, I believe it's a science fiction crew and there's some other skins of it. Uh, so you have, you can only communicate via the video chat and there's overlays and various uh, effects and constraints on how you can do it. Um, but it's specifically designed to be on video. Uh, uh, actually one of my games, um, Palanquin, which I just released is, uh, designed in such a way it coincidentally works perfectly online. Even though I designed it well before the pandemic dropped, uh, <laughs> I was not expecting that it would happen to be a good, uh, online game, but well, it is. Um, and, uh, just to selfishly plug the game, it's a, the pitch of the game is, uh, the heir to the kingdom, uh, has escaped the palace after a palace coup. Mm -hmm. Now a group of disreputable, uh, individuals are helping escort her to her aunt's, uh, palace. Uh, so it's all about the escape of the, 14-year-old uh, uh, princess surrounded by the uh uh the disgraced veteran the sorcerer who might have killed their master uh, the thief uh, who was captured in the dungeons, etc. Uh, so but it's designed such that um there's no actual character sheets per se. Your characters don't change. It's just dice, uh, that are being rolled and, uh, preset characters with sort of leading questions. So it actually works decently on the online format.
0: Cool. So, uh, so palanquin, do you carry around uh, literally a uh, palanquin? These are those. Oh, you call that in English? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not the name, um, uh, don't remember what it's called the thing you carry for for individuals, or maybe two individuals
1: yeah, yeah yeah, uh, so it's not it's um metaphorical rather than literal um because uh so all of the disreputable people who are helping escort the princess the heir um are called the bearers, okay, and as you go at um it actually takes a little bit from. Um, kagematsu, uh, in that, uh, one person is in charge of judging everyone else. So as you go through the escape, it is certain that you'll get there safely. There's no question about that. The real question is, does the, is the heir going to trust or fear each of the individual bearers? Because they're all a little sketchy. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, you know, for scale, uh, one of the characters is the Faithful, who is a priestess of the um, goddess of rivers and sacrifice. Sweet. <laughs> so. Sacrificial priestess. Uh is not usually the most trustworthy of uh saviors, so yeah, there's a lot of distrust that winds up uh cropping up and that that's sort of the fun of the game uh figuring out exactly how good or dangerous your individual bearers are.
0: It's when I, it, it makes me think that uh, it's sort of uh, yeah you have the princess and then the group around her. It's kind of made up of uh, Matt Martigan from Willow. Uh, yep, <laughs> it's totally that. V- it is totally that. Viren from the Dragon Prince, and had a third in mind. Uh, <laughs> yeah, those kind of. Uh, Fishy character who, the the tension is uh I mean even like Maui in uh in Moana we're not quite uh, sure Zuko. this. Ozukozuko uh, Auzuko, that's yep. a nice one. Bonded by honor or, or to all their own personal uh griefs. Yeah, that's so, yep. that sounds awesome. I like the concept of uh and I, I was first exposed to that through a game you recommended uh to Willem. So the my group on Thursday includes Willem from Ice Cream from I- Everyone and uh, the first time we played together when they introduced me to miro we played becoming which uh, oh right apparently you you put in his hand and told him to buy <laughs> yeah but i like this concept of you're not going to fail the hero is not going to fail so th- that means you you're very comfortable both as the person playing the the protagonist or the, the everyone around the table about making the situation quite bad while there's the agreement that it won't fail. So it will succeed, but we, we can load you with a lot of difficulties <laughs> and it's about how those will be overcome. Uh, that's a very interesting way of liberating the, the players and, uh, and what is going
1: on in the story. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I, I love, uh, becoming. It's, uh, for those who are, um, unaware of the details. It's modeled, it's a game by Brian Engard uh, who w- worked on Fate Core and a number of other games um, and it's a game modeled on the Greek heroic myth um, so there is one hero and there's three uh, uh, Furies or Fates so the, so they are in charge of creating all the opposition and all of the problems that the hero is facing, and they make bargains with the hero uh so um you can always uh, it's because it's based on uh effectively uh, the maiden uh the what's the middle one ha huh, uh, maiden mother crone. Uh, so, uh, one of them can create things to help the hero. One of them, uh, and usually can, has side effects. One of them can change things to help the hero. And one of them can destroy things to help the hero. Uh, but there's always side effects. Oh, and wait. it's effectively the three of them trying to fight over who wins.
0: And you have turn playing them. So you, yeah, the the concept is what, you need four players. So That's a game. The number of players is preset. You, you don't have a choice as yeah. far as I understand it. So one plays the hero and uh, that person's going to play the hero all through the game while the others turn doing the three uh, the maiden, the crown <sighs> and um, yeah. uh, the third one. So, so they, they're going to do the different things at one moment uh, each of them. I really enjoyed, I, I'm not a big fan, uh, not a big fan. I'm, I'm saying that not as a criticism, but uh, I'm fine. I'm listening to a lot of podcasts with a lot of people enjoying a lot, very storytelling game, really games when you come up with a story together. And, uh, uh, over my little own gamer journey, I realized that it was not my thing most of the time because it reminds yep. me of work. I'm, a, I'm an architect, oh, right. so designing uh, as part of a committee is part of my work, but there's a hierarchy and so on, and playing storytelling them where you share the narration, it reminds me, of, not even my job, but my studies, when there was no hierarchy, so no, no leadership. <coughs> so, but right. I really enjoyed Becoming, because you have a very clear role at the moment yeah. when you contribute to it. You cannot... You're not invading... There's no too much friction with what the others are, are doing. There are informal exchanges. But it's very clear what you're supposed to do and what you do. And, and the, the other person makes their contribution behind you on that. Because when I play storytelling, things, I always have, the, always have this impression which are, doesn't have to be justified. But either I feel like I had a good idea and I, I didn't push it enough and it was not taken by the group... Or, the opposite had a good idea, and I argue for it, and sometimes I feel like <clears throat> i'm I'm pulling the spotlight too much, but I always this got this slight paranoia of this, but yeah, would be becoming, yep. and games which are very structured uh, I don't have that, so it's
1: much more enjoyable for me oh yeah absolutely absolutely understand that um yeah there there's Spotlight management in a decentralized game is always a challenge. Um, now the question is, is it landing on the players or is it landing on some kind of central administrator, uh, to try to make sure that those, uh, tensions and problems don't crop up? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely understand. Um, by contrast, my day job is, Uh, a bureaucratic hierarchy so (laughs) collaboration is amazing i'm a huge fan of that i i i know exactly how huge hierarchical systems uh uh and top-down management works out and uh, i don't need that in my fun most of the time Although I find role-playing
0: games, I mean, it's it's no wonder that it it's used in training often. But what I find fascinating with, I, I learn a lot through playing role-playing games like um, Legend of the Five Rings, which was really the first game I was exposed to with a very top-down hierarchy, and in the way we used it, we it was partially randomized because we, we would roll uh, our ancestors randomly but then you end up with a player who usually is the a uh, good player but the bandwagon uh, and yeah. that player ends up being the one with the most glory and because the game master was very strict into applying so, so the etiquette and the codes saying okay when you enter a room the person with the most glory is the person t- who's supposed to say the things and speak first so but you learn about okay, what is it like to... You have someone on top of them, you need to provide them with the advice, but but in a fashion which doesn't undermine them in front of another authority, and this sort of things. And it's really, really cool. I really like it when a tabletop (coughs) role-playing game allows you to, to explore such challenges and try to understand, okay, what is it like, actually, to be the person in charge of... Of planning or education, the education board in in this administration, what does it mean? Think when you play some role playing game and you think a bit further. uh Yeah, you, it gives you a bit this kind of perspective of ah, oh, they cannot say whatever they want, <laughs> or or you cannot just go up to them and say, well, this thing you did sucks in front of of the rest of the board if you're their subordinate because because it's a problem for the
1: whole system. On a related note, there's another fantastic game uh, that deals with that kind of conflict, which is um, uh, Kingdom by uh, Ben Robbins, uh, the creator of Microscope. Cool. And uh, it is a game where uh, you divide up the authority so one person has the power so they make the decisions. One person... Is the, I think it's technically the guide, uh, who says, uh, what the, uh, potential consequences are of a decision if you, uh, uh, take an option or refuse an option. So you load up consequences on both sides. And then the third one is effectively the populace who decides what public opinion is <laughs> cool. and whatever they, whatever they do or behave or however they behave in play represents how people think about the situation. So you'll get a situation of, should we welcome the barbarians into our kingdom? Uh, one person has the ability to decide it. One person gets to say, uh, but if we uh welcome the barbarians into the kingdom they will take over our military because they're they have a better martial spirit and then the populace is sitting there going oh that's totally fine we don't want to serve in the military <laughs> uh so then you get the person in power saying, so do I want to in, um, bring in the barbarians and give them all the swords?
0: <laughs>
1: the people say I should. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's examining those kinds of conflicts in a uh, d- delightful way. Um, I'm actually quite impressed by all of the uh, games produced by the publishing company, which is Lame Mage Productions. Le they Mage. also did uh, Follow, uh, which is a ga- very good intro game uh, about quests. So it, it's all of their games are quite good where you can just play them off of reading. You read them at the table, and you go straight into play. Cool. Oh, so that's, um, that's awesome in, <laughs> in many And situations. Follow is specifically designed to be very easy to pick up. Teach some fundamental skills um with no prep. Um so uh I definitely recommend folks check it out and um if if you have any new role players, start with that one before D D. Don't start with D. Like, you D&D. can go to D D. Don't get me wrong, but start with something like that that has a really gentle uh learning curve that guides people into it, teaches people to um be um comfortable making bad decisions for their characters and um taking risks um and collaborating, etc. So
0: That reminds me I was Yeah, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> it's a side note but that reminds me I was thinking to st- uh, we had a discussion on a previous episode about uh, uh, controversial opinions and I was saying that uh, from what I see on Twitter actually having a a controversial statement was the best way to, to get anything noticed because people tend to <laughs> get up in arms so I was wondering if I should uh, each time with my guests make up a clickbait Title for the for the the episode <laughs> like something which we would not even defend in the video but just to to have the the episode shared shared and uh, so maybe I will call this one you should never start with Dungeons and why you should never start for, for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah sh- I understand that. I think I'm I'm gonna try. I see if I have, have enough space for. <laughs> I'm not aware of the the length of title, but I'm gonna try to well D and D. D and D would short. A nice, but yeah nice I thing. agree with that I, I, it really annoys me I mean yeah, it's a, I'm a broken record on the subject but I like d really but it really annoys me when people suggest that as the first game to start with because even if it was only for the the, the pull effect of that uh Black hole gravitational pool, which is the the D and D community. D and D, you're gonna play it one day, so you don't have to start with it. Play with something else, and and then it's not. I find it it's a, a bit of a sandpit. Uh, again, it's not a, a judgment of the qualities of the game, but it's compared to others, it's it might be simpler than it used to, but it's still very complicated. And I find the assumption of a lot of D and D players that oh, I spend all this time. Being onboarded on D&D and getting to know the rules. That now if I want to play another role-playing game, I'm going to have to do all of that all over again. And even and no, even something traditional or old like Star Wars D6. It's much faster to learn than D&D, so you don't have to spend. It's funny to run the games. I've been running games at a club. And then there was no D&D and everybody's D&D players there. And each time I was running something, people would ask me... Or where can I head the the player's handbook for that game? Or can I have the rules in advance? And Ishan was like, "You don't need that. <laughs> you show up.
1: I will tell you. That's it." Um. Now, if someone does want to run D anD D, um, so I've just been so I've been playing games for a little bit of time, let's say, um. And I started off with like RuneQuest. Nice. And I I am too young to have started with RuneQuest, but I had a classic DM. Uh, but it meant that I've been tracking pretty much all the editions. Uh, my uh my pet edition is Second Ed. Uh, mostly because I adore some of the settings and some of the things they were trying to do. Uh, like Planescape or Dark Sun, um, like that, or Birthright. Like there, there there's some really interesting stuff going in there. Um, but I recently, um, picked up an actual copy of the Red Box, uh, online. Um, which for folks who aren't aware was the classic mass production 1977 version, I believe. Uh, seventy-seven or seventy-nine—I don't recall the specific here. Um, but um, the the mass market uh version uh by uh Metzer, um, and it's really good. Like, keep on the Borderlands. Uh, is the fundamental adventure. You know, you've got uh—I forget if it's three or five levels. Uh, Elf is a class. That kind of thing um uh, and it's actually really well designed um there's a really nice holding space the complexity isn't too high um it gives enough tools for people to be able to dig in uh without constraining too much so it's a uh you are all adventurers who's been go- who's who have been sent to this keep on the edge of the kingdom, just the kingdom. <laughs> um, and, uh, there's uh, problems in the caves. So you need to go in. So you go in and you deal with the caves and there's a ecosystem of the, these caves that are all connected to each other. So if you clear out one place that had goblins, then the trolls will come in. And it's, you know, this constantly dynamic. Uh, dungeon setting. Uh, you've got some simple tools. Um, the mechanics are quite straightforward. There's a handful of spells for uh magic users, that kind of thing. So it's it is actually the D and would recommend starting with. Um, as opposed to the games that were at the advanced Dungeons and Dragons or later stages. Um, it would actually be lovely to make some tweaks to five E to specifically reproduce some of the more gentle onboarding elements Mm -hmm. of, uh, the red box, because there was some, there was some really good tech in there that people aren't fully aware of. Um, like, uh, one of the controversial opinions that was popping up online, which I, yeah, I have opinions about, is the whole, um, racial attributes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you are a dwarf, you get negative charisma modifier. Uh, if you are a, um, orc, I think it's what negative intelligence modifiers, uh, and how a lot of this Is tied into some rather unpleasant racist elements um, that have been baked into D&D for a long time. That's not actually baked into the red box, really. You all. So, in the red box, the way they handle it is um, all of these classes and races, which are all the same thing. So, you're taking an elf, or you're taking a fighter. Uh, they all have prime requisites that get you bonus XP. So if you are a strong dwarf, you advance more quickly. But it's a, you get a benefit if you are this. And you must be this good in certain stats to be this, uh, class or race. Mm-hmm. But it's not all dwarves are strong or all dwarves have high constitution, it's a if you have high constitution, you're probably better suited as a dwarf. Which is an interesting dynamic um, that I think lessens some of those problematic elements. So yeah, I, I am a fan of digging through some of the older games and seeing what's on the old uh, gems work. Um, even in- though I'm a hippie story gamer. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, some
0: uh, I think that that's, uh, at the moment, there's kind of this, there, there, are, there are things which are like race, which are clearly justified that people take issues with. But in, in narration in general, there's this kind of a conflict between, on one side, the tropes of stories, which are there to to foster communication and understanding in what you're trying to do and then the rejection of those tropes uh, sometimes on uh, ground which is justified because it's hurtful to, to people but sometimes because, oh, this is t- so tropey, why why do we have those tropes? Well, those tropes are there f- f- for communication so if we're not happy with them, we need to make our, make up other tropes on which we can build.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, they are any shorthand that is coming out of our culture means that it brings along all the baggage from our culture. Welcome to Tolkien's greedy dwarves uh, who have a lust for gold. Big uh, <laughs> or big uh, nose. Or big nose gnomes uh, who are all tricksters. Uh, or the orcs who are um savage uncultured uh beings who uh who raid and commit vi- uh acts of uh deeply unsettling violence from tribal structures uh on the edges of civilization so we should really come in and you know
0: Yeah,
1: that's Uh, bring civilization to them and remove them from the land. Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of issues from a lot of our cultural stories that are that found the tropes. So, as uh, a fantastic game designer, uh, Avery Alder said, "Um, when you're designing a game." Um. Uh, all games have politics. Yeah, and if you aren't putting your own politics in them, you're putting in someone else's.
0: Yeah, because even the absence Don't... of politics is is politics. If there's such things, yep. was, your your impression, your delusion of making it void of politics actually is a, a support of a form of politics which are in place. So.
1: Yep. I mean, imagine a, oh, and in this world, there's no politics. Politics don't exist. <laughs> you know what that is? <laughs> that's
0: paranoia. <laughs> uh,
1: no, no, that's got politics. Uh, no, I mean, no, there's communists. no politics, a, it, there's
0: no, there's no mutants, is a, there's is no a, is a mutants, there's no traitors in um, Paranaria.
1: No, <laughs> right, but if there is, if there was a communist, <laughs>
0: have look you to met your one? Look to
1: your uh, right, I shall denounce one you, of if you, you if you follow a communist. <laughs> Um, then you need to, uh, recycle them. Um, yeah, uh, but if you had a, this world has no politics, uh, that's a libertarian Mad Max situation.
0: It's funny because this world has no politics is almost... I mean, even interpreting that is so... It's it's a Pandora box because this world has no politics. Okay, is it a complete libertarian Mad Max world? Uh, or is it a, the opposite? Because when you said this world has no politics, I was picturing more 1984. There's, there's no politics because there's just one politics. There's no debate. There's just do the things, uh, and it's clear what you're supposed to do when you do it, and there's no problem, there's no politics. Yeah. So even the interpretation of the statement <laughs> is open to interpretation.
1: I mean, I think there's only one fictional group that could legitimately be, be seen as having no politics. Mm-hmm. Who, who would the that Borg. be? The Borg. They don't have internal politics. <laughs> yeah. There, there is no vote. Yeah, we but are I, the Borg. Resistance is futile. That is their internal dialogue.
0: <laughs> I heard of someone at C- CyberConf who developed a game who, which was a bit like playing the Borg or or the insects in Starship Troopers, and you were right, part right. of the thing and you would upgrade yourself. But it would be quite interesting to picture how. Yeah, you know, that that's a role-playing challenge to put yourself in the mindset of a Borg. Or, or would you role-play that? I guess you would not role-play a Borg. You, you would do it again like becoming or, uh, well, you, uh, you so, collectively play the collective and you take turns at doing an
1: aspect of it, I guess. I like the idea of, um, slightly different, but the Geth from, uh, Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with their collective. Thing. Uh so they are a collective of um synthetic uh beings um that may have overthrown their masters and uh led to a migrant refugee flotilla uh, <laughs> uh holding <laughs> that, all the all the surviving creators. Um that sounds because, very apolitical you know, <laughs> because they were in uh, they had effectively been uh, enslaving and abusing the artificial intelligence robots as servants. So, okay. Like, eh, that's fair. Um, robot revolutionaries. What can I say? But their internal politic is actually all consensus. It's direct democracy. Where every member of this, uh, hive minded, uh, uh robotic species it, you know votes on everything which is a really interesting well, that's like, that's political not, blocks within a hive mind
0: that's not census. then it's it's uh majority democracy
1: with i well, guess in no, the- no the thing it's the thing is it's a now let's we're going to use the Speed of machine intelligence to have societal level debates mm-hmm. until everyone agrees on a course of action. Okay. So it's, uh, it's like, but it, but because you're not humans, you can actually do, you know, the equivalent of 10,000 years worth of debate and yeah. say murder is bad. And everyone agrees because you've been talking about it for the equivalent of ten thousand years, and everyone okay, yeah, you've convinced me.
0: So it's it's a system which is like twelve angry men. Actually, you, yeah, yeah. everybody needs to agree on the verdict, not just a majority. But as you say, you you can process it so fast that yeah, you you did it over and over, like like question. I mean, we we talk so much about uh, stuff which pulls us apart in society, between countries and within countries, but partisanship that we we forget with still quite a lot of stuff we agree upon which if you go 30-40 years back in time most people wouldn't agree with them so yeah if you had a thousand years that could definitely work yeah
1: I mean but how would you role play that? Child labor is not a thing that most people are enthusiastic about anymore
0: which is, wasn't the case for years ago. 100 years? <sighs> not even.
1: Um, I'm sure. Depending on your jurisdiction, like.
0: Yeah, I, I think people would feel like it's 100 years, but, uh, the reality is, uh, well, first of all, it's not as uncommon in the world or even in some countries, uh, civilized countries as we would think. And second, people, I think, would, would have the delusion that it's been like this for a hundred or several hundred years, while it's in place mostly since World War II, you know, and, and widely
1: accepted, culturally, but people well, still... Well, I'm sorry, by child labor, I'm talking about, like, eight-year-olds in coal mines. Yeah, well, of course, there, there are ranges uh, of... <laughs> which, which is about a hundred
0: years. I mean, at what point is like, Taking potatoes in a field or sewing things in a, a sweatshop-like environment as bad as being a coal miner. I mean, coal mining, just the condition of coal mining. I come from a place called the, the Black Country in Belgium. Uh, yeah, coal mining and it's, it's in 56 they had their last very big tragedy which put an end to the industry. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Where will we yeah. start? Where are we are coming from? <laughs> uh,
1: politics and D and D. Politics the- leading to child labor because most of us agree that that's a bad idea. <laughs> and it only took took a you know a hundred years to generally get on board with the like you no know, let's not throw kids in coal mines. Um Give it ten thousand years, you can actually see some progress. Put time on it, but we'll see. And uh,
0: yeah, working. Yeah, for we'll more. come back in ten thousand years. <laughs> um, okay, uh, are you? Uh, so, what's the word the, the project you're working on at the moment is it Palenquin? Are you or are you done with it? And you moved uh, on to something so else? So I
1: just finished Palenquin. Gorgeous. Yeah. um... Mia Minnis is the new artist who, uh, did this for me. Uh, she did some fantastic work. Um, it was part of Zine Quest. Oh. Uh, which seems like it was 10 years ago and was actually in February?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: We had uh, a
0: February this year.
1: I, I thought we only had a, a March. Well, it, we had a February. It was about a hundred years ago. But there was a February.
0: Well, the good um, news, like the guess, that we know we agree on a lot of things, I guess, because February was 100 years ago.
1: Uh, I was actually saying online that I legitimately forgot that an entire uh, continent lit on fire in January yeah, me too. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> there,
1: there
0: There was this joke on TikTok that uh, uh, March was like, Oh, pandemic, and April would be like alien invasion." <laughs> oh we do, we could, we're happy we're done with March. What's The year cannot be worse, and people were starting to picture all things could get even worse. Ah, <sighs> yeah
1: yeah and then they found uh released ufo pictures i mean ugh. uh so yeah there's a lot has changed since february <laughs> uh but yeah so i just finished that off uh so right now i'm working on uh so i'm um in charge of the layout for a glorious project that went on Kickstarter last year, I believe. Uh Red Carnations on a Black Grave by Since... Catherine Raman.
0: Okay, what which is, that is uh, the...
1: It is a story game about the um rise and fall of the Paris Commune.
0: Ooh. That's that's uh, honey to my ears.
1: Yeah, it's it is delightful and tragic. Um, so, <clears throat> let's put it this way. One of the characters is, um, uh, Camille, who is a 12 year old, uh, child. Uh, and, uh, Camille has a question of, uh, so, um, who taught you how to shoot? And the two icons representing Camille are, a pistol and a teddy bear. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that hurts. And everyone plays two characters in, like, this relationship web. You are guaranteed to have at least a 50% fatality rate. You are guaranteed to lose at least one of your two characters. Yeah, it's, uh, because, well, guess what? La semaine sang was not a pleasant period.
0: No, the, the past is not great. I love, I, I love oh. the, I I don't play it nearly enough and I don't find they popular enough, but, uh, history inspired games are, are things I find absolutely <coughs> fascinating.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Night Witches does some beautiful work. Uh, Grey Ranks is an oldie, but a goodie. Um, uh, for those who aren't aware of gray ranks, that is the, uh, Polish child soldiers in World War II in the Warsaw Uprising, uh, by Jason Morningstar, because is, of course it's by Jason Morningstar. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, interesting historical games going on.
0: This one I had heard of, I think it was, uh, in, um... Uh, I heard about it in uh, Bonux Experience podcast uh, which I thought was really fascinating. I'm not sure I could play it uh, I think uh, it it would be too much for me but just the the idea that this game exists and people play it it's called uh, Rosenstrasse it's yep. by, uh, unruly games and you play, uh, I might have the details wrong, but apparently the, the inhabitants of a street which existed in Germany where you had a lot of, uh, uh, mixed unions between, uh, people yep. of Jewish des- descent and people of uh, whatever that means, non, non-Jewish descent, uh, and and the the inhabitants of that street uh, apparently the the women especially managed to uh, sort of argue their way around the laws and uh, a lot of the repression. But at the same time, that that meant that they had a lot to make a lot of um, uh, yeah very difficult decisions, and at the same time. Uh, yeah, how do you deal with what's going on around you? And uh, anyway, your, your own life is not, is not at all safe. Uh, yep. Uh, but yeah, just hearing talk, to- talking about this game, it's, it's a sort of thing. That's how, to some extent, I find history should be taught. Because it's about the experience of the past and not, not the facts, which very often are, are not
1: as factual as people imagine. Oh, absolutely. Um, so uh, for some additional detail on that, the game is published by Unruly Games and designed by Dr. Jessica Hammer, uh, who is a friend of mine um, and a professor of game studies, I believe. Uh, tech, I forget if it's communication or game studies. Um, but uh, yeah, so she designed the game as a Jewish creator. And it's all about... Uh, non-Jewish uh, j- good German women quote unquote good German women in the eyes of the Nazi party so you know Aryan women who were married to Jewish men and they would effectively uh, do the equivalent of walking up to the Nazi regime and saying I want to talk to your manager <laughs> Um and said like I am exactly the correct the kind of good German woman you want and you're not taking my husband away. So they're using their social power as- by being part of the dominant group and browbeating the Nazis who are all who also happen to be German men. uh so yeah they they're protecting their uh Jewish husbands from being taken away. It's really interesting and dark uh
0: but fascinating there, there's so many time of history and, and again, you know sort of putting yourself in the situation in in a in a safe environment that we enjoy today i think it's it's much more meaningful than uh yeah i mean it's it's great to lay flowers on monuments and so I mean it's victory day today, but yeah it's it i find it yeah important and not covered enough to to try to to put some you know just even for for a few minutes put yourself in uh, thinking very very hard what it's like to be to be someone in another circumstance, not in the sense that oh yeah, we have it so easy today, but yeah you know understand that uh well first of all the past isn't. A great place, uh, most of the time, and, and second, I think t- for empathy, you know, it's, it's not even. I'm saying that it's not even necessarily history, but just understanding what could be the other person today, circumstances, and how they they cope with a situation. And uh, I think that's something which is interesting right now, also with the pandemic. Uh, uh, we are sharing an experience together, so I I guess it helps to develop empathy with. Your neighbors and people further, because you you have an understanding at least that we we shared that that little yep. slash big experience uh, together.
1: Yeah. Oh, and um, the the other projects I'm working on, because of course I'm working on multiple projects. Um, so I'm currently developing a game called Sig City of Blades, which is a follow up to my previous game uh, Sig Manual of the Primes. So. Sig is a game that replicates the feeling of planar fantasy role playing game, cough cough, Planescape. Um and Sig City of Blades is adapting that fictional setting to work for the Blades in the Dark system. Ooh, that's a nice combo.
0: That's a very nice combo. So it's planar heists, which is a lot of fun. Oh. Um, oh yeah, that so you so you go is it when you say planner, uh is it I don't I know, is it like sliders or
1: or strange uh, so or there is a fictional city in the center of reality that is hooked into the eternal planes of existence like the um plane of fire, the plane of lore, the plane of life, uh, etc. uh plane of shadows. And um there's tethers and gateways to these uh planes. And there's also gateways to the infinite prime worlds where all the mortals live. But the, the gameplay focuses on this city between this, this city, um, of feuding factions. Um, but occasionally you'll do heists and steal into the land of the dead and rescue, uh, someone. Uh, bring them back to the city between. That's it's a nice. heist. It's a planar heist. You just happen to be doing an Adipteus heist. So, I, have, in my experience in Warping, I had troubles with heist, but
0: I think Blades in the Dark sorted it, although I haven't played Blades in the Dark yet. My, my problem with heist is that, in my experience, we spend a lot of time planning the heist. And uh, since it reminds me of my work, again, planning something as a yep. group, in space and with different levels of uh, with different skill sets uh, it's already sort of a problem for me it's, it's not exactly my enjoyment but second i found out even as a game master uh, you plan if so if you you spend a lot of resources and time to plan the heist so there's two possibilities it doesn't go according to plan so the time you invested in planning wasn't that that well used or it goes accordingly to plan and it's actually very boring so is it? Is so it so yeah or does that work it, a
1: blade solves that problem very well so allow let's let us together uh, do the entire planning process for blades in the dark okay so you are planning on doing an infiltration awesome uh, into this building what is the point of entry? How are you getting into this place? I think it's a
0: rather large building, and if I rent a room at that hotel, I should be able to uh, shoot a grapple hook to the roof and and enter via
1: a vent. Fantastic. You have now uh, finished that. Now let's roll one die. Oh, yep. Looks like we got a five. So um, you're... Uh, initial setup works fairly well, and you're in a controlled position, so you mostly have things under control. If it had been a one, you might have, uh, run into a series of, uh, guards who happened to be playing cards in the room that you grappled into. Um, but I had, but I had planned for that. Because. (laughs) Uh, Yes. So you have a, uh, a resource called stress that you gain during heists. And you can spend that to do flashbacks. And really establish things and contingencies that you had, you clearly already prepared. Uh, yeah. And that was literally the entire planning process we had. I really need to try ice. that.
0: I got a naked son running behind me. I think it's about time uh, I I sadly uh, end this show. Uh, it was really really nice uh, to meet you for the first time and have a, a conversation. <laughs> oh, it's, it's uh, some rage going on tomorrow- yesterday uh, <laughs> behind me. I'm losing my word. Uh, do you have anything uh, final thing to to plug? Where maybe where where and when uh, people can find palenquin and where can I pe-
1: continue to be y- working on everything. Um I also work on uh, Fate of the Galaxy, a game of galactic space politics uh, powered by FateCore. And uh, Circles of Power, my game of uh, Social Justice Wizards, um, which is uh, a Powered by the Apocalypse game where you're all playing um, members of various marginalized communities who are using magic to fight up to beat up fascists and an oppressive, um, regime. So yeah, I'm working on things. Uh, you can find me over on Twitter frequently where I'm doing very large threads, uh, during the pandemic, uh, which is at Genesis of Legend. Uh, you can see my website at, um, uh, www.genesisoflegend, dot com or dot ca. Uh, and uh, y- you can also check me out on the RPG Design Panelcast uh, which you can just Google and you'll find fairly easily uh, so yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure
0: yeah, uh, well, thank you very much thanks for to everyone who listening to this or watching us uh, next Monday we will be with a gentleman another gentleman I never uh, interacted with before Someone from Onyx Path, and uh, I don't even remember, I'm horrible, I don't remember the name of that person. I'm just a horrible person, but uh, he seems extremely interesting and keen. Thanks again, uh, Jason, and uh, yeah, bye everyone, see you around. Bye everyone. Our logo is designed by Roland Cairns. Our theme song is Playtime by Jazar, which you can download on the Free Music Archive. A video version of this episode is available on YouTube. Please consider subscribing to our channel there. Leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. If you would like more Café Rollist, you can also get access to our archive of 100 or so additional episodes via Patreon. If you want to be informed of everything released by The realist, we have a monthly newsletter for you to join. And if you want to contribute via the chat room to one of our recordings, subscribe to our Twitch channel and social media accounts to be informed of when streams are happening. Finally, links to everything I just mentioned can be found in the description of this episode. Thanks for listening to us, and remember, you are the realist.